the Bearcats Podcast. I'm Paul Daner Jr., and I'm here to take you behind the curtain of UC Athletics, where we'll discuss all the topics that UC you care about, and quite a few that you really don't care about. All right, let's go. Eight seconds to go. SK dribbles into the front court. Joe Patkin pulls up from three. His shot. Good! 2.5 to go. Joe Patkin buries one. Green out to Abernathy, looking for a block, he's got it, down to the 10, the 5, touchdown, Bearcats! Alright, welcome to the latest edition of the Inside the Bearcats podcast. Uh, I, of course, uh, am Paul Danner Jr. Uh, we are one day after Providence College uh, upsets UC 54 to 50 at the dunk, uh, and we've got a big matchup on Saturday with Pittsburgh back at Pittsburgh, 6 p.m. Uh, that's a whiteout for all you people that are need to focus on your color coordination. But today I got a special uh, guest. Uh, we're going national today. We're, we're, we, you know, we explore the local media all the time, but we've got to go. We're going big time. We're hitting up uh, Rob Dowser from, uh, he's a head writer at NBC Sports, founder of Ball and is a Habit, and he was one of the first guests ever to eat a meal while doing a, po- a podcast with me. Last year, during the Ball and is a Habit road trip, Rob uh, and Troy Macker came through. I took them to Montgomery, and we had Montgomery and Ribs while recording the podcast. Uh, the waitress made a, made a few cameos. It was fantastic. Rob, thank you for joining us. I don't have any food this time, unfortunately. Yeah, I know that. Apparently, that's why we uh, couldn't get Troy on here, was that he's boycotting it if he's not getting ribs at the same time. I, I understand his feelings will be hurt. I, I set the bar very high as far as how this would go. And, and the fact that there is no food, I know that feelings are hurt, but uh, we can still talk a little bit about basketball. But you know what? I want to talk to you because, like I said last time you were here, you guys were rocking ball and as a habit, you were doing the road trip, and since then, uh, it's been a crazy year for you, because it was about this time last year you came through and were doing the road trip, I believe. I mean, what has happened the last year now? NBC Sports has picked you guys up, and you guys are you guys are doing the thing over there. Yeah, we, uh, we, we'd both been doing some work for NBC for probably about a year and a half or two years, and... Um, and then I guess probably right about the time when the road trip ended last year, which would, would be right now, the road trip was uh, like the middle of January. I think we were gone the 8th until like the 25th. And then when that pretty much when that ended, they launched College Basketball Talk before it was Beyond the Arc. And now it's College Basketball Talk, and it's the same app that, you know, Mike Florio and Pro Football Talk and all that is on. And so they, they expanded their coverage and, uh, they gave us a little bit more of a role, and, you know, it's, it's been great. Unfortunately, balling is a habit kind of uh, went to pasture, but, you know, as much fun as that was, we were uh, kind of – the goal was always to, to end up making it somewhere bigger. So I guess balling is a habit served its purpose. I, I still miss it, though. I, we still have the URL and everything, and, you know, we still do some posterized over there. And But, yeah, no road trips this year, unfortunately, but, you know, hey, we're spending more time watching hoops, so it's all good. I was going to say, I actually went ahead and did a count, because I'm curious if you ever sleep. I was wondering if you would fall asleep in the middle of this podcast. You had 11 posts yesterday alone, and that's pretty – and if you look at the timestamps, it's from 
early in the morning until, well, early in the morning. You, you, you never miss the late West Coast games. I get concerned at how much uh, you, you really are uh, getting it done over there as far as uh, putting time in watching basketball. Uh, well, it's probably not healthy, and uh, my fiance is kind of concerned about it sometimes. So, um, hey, you know, if you got an addiction, you just got to keep feeding it, right? <laughs> right. You clearly have an addiction. <laughs> you know, I, I can tell you, I'm sure nobody on the East Coast knows more about late night, uh, you know, West Coast games than you do. Uh, what What's the? I think what's been what's your favorite game this year? I know there's been quite a few lately that have. Uh, really mark the radar, but are there any under-the-radar games maybe that you particularly love that maybe didn't get a lot of national run? Well, uh, I think it was about a, maybe a month ago, about three weeks ago, BYU played, St. Mary's was playing at BYU, and um, it, it was just a thrilling finish. Tyler Hawes, who's uh, BYU's leading scorer, hit a little floater in the lane um, to put uh, the Cougars ahead, and it was responded to immediately by Matthew Delavadova with like a running double pump 45 footer at the buzzer to win the game on the road in front of 22,000 fans. And it was just one of those moments where, you know, there were maybe like 20 people still awake watching the game, but everyone's going crazy on their couch watching it and Twitter's blowing up. And I I just, I love stuff like that. The late night West Coast games because no one plays defense out there. That's just great about it. Like we're, me and you are, are, are brought up on, you know, Big East hoops, and, and we're used to these like 57, 55 games, or 54, 50, or whatever it is. And over there, they're, they're scoring 50 points in the first half, and it's just it's a lot of fun to watch because they're chucking up threes and they're getting up and down the floor. So, for anybody that needs a late night Twitter explosion fix, the follow is at Rob Dowser. <laughs> you can always, you, I can always count on uh, on waking up in the morning and going to get an overnight recap and just reading all your thoughts from between. Uh, Dude, at about 3 a.m. Fantastic. Uh, well, I didn't have you on for us to completely talk about your sleeping patterns. I do want to uh, chat a little bit about the Big East. And, you know, you, you see a ton of everything, but you definitely see the Big East. Tell me, you know, for the people here, for, from an outsider's national perspective, how, how do you view Cincinnati and, and, and where this team is, is at in their season right now? Well, I think they're like pretty much everybody in the Big East that's not Syracuse and Louisville. They're, they're pretty good. They're going to win some games. They're going to make the tournament. They have a shot at making the Sweet 16 if they get the right matchup. But, you know, there's there's issues with them that can be exposed, which is kind of what Providence did on, uh, what was that, Tuesday night, Wednesday night? Wednesday, yeah. Um, yeah, Wednesday night. And, you know, they they have two really good guards in, in Kilpatrick and, and, and Kazmir Wright. I really like watching them play, but the problem is they really don't have another guy that can create points and and, and create shots. And I, I guess maybe you could throw Jaquan Parker in there when he's having a good game, but you know even he's more of a, a guy that kind of relies on um, Wright and Kilpatrick to make something happen for him. So if you can stop those two and uh, make those two have a tough night, then you got a shot of beating them because they really can't score without them. Um, the thing about Cincinnati, though, at least in my opinion, is that they're, they're as physical as anybody in the Big East. They're as long and as athletic as anybody in the Big East, and you're not going to be able to score a lot of points on them, which is why if you kind of look at you know their schedule, er- everything seems to be in the low 60s or high 50s, and, and, and I think that they're going to be able to, to grind it out with some teams on the nights that Kilpatrick has 
uh, one of those explosions or, or on the night that Casimir Wright is hitting shots on the stretch or whatever, you, what have you. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, last night wasn't one of those nights. And, I mean, that's going to happen from time to time when you have teams. And the other thing is there's just so much balance in the Big East this year. I, yeah. I feel like even when you get to, to Louisville and Syracuse, there's really not that much different between them and, you know, a Marquette or a Georgetown or a Pitt. So I, I think that the Big East race is going to be one of the more entertaining ones to follow this season, simply because there is no great team in the conference, at least right now. Yeah, no, you're right. And you, you mentioned the the offensive issues. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I, you know, I ran some numbers on the blog today. You know, UC in conference play, 6-0 and when they score 61 or more points. 0-4 when they score 60 or less. The defense is consistent. Uh, the defense is there every game, regardless of tempo, regardless of style, regardless of who the other team is. The defense seems to be right there in that same spot every single game. The offense has the ups and downs, like you mentioned, and it's a matter of finding the consistency, finding that other weapon. That could really be the difference between Cincinnati being a team that is 6-0 and and being that team that is 0-4, if they can just if they can find that consistency, find that other score, you think they'll have a chance. You know, it seems like they would have a chance to make a similar run as they did last year, ended up in the finals of the Big East tournament, and as they did, uh, you know, ending up in the Sweet 16. The last couple of years, UC has had a pretty big improvement uh, in the in the back half of conference season. They they scored three and a half more points per game in the second half of last conference season. Uh, a lot of that was Yankee Gates started playing a lot better. Uh, you saw a lot the offensively started to figure things out. Even two years ago, their defense figured something out in the second half of the season. They scored, they allowed three and a half points less in the back half of the conference season. They seem to figure something out every year, so there's certainly a precedent that it can happen. But, you know, you know as much as anybody watching the Big East, it's tough to make a dramatic change midway through the year. It's not something that happens very often. Typically at this point, don't you think, you kind of, in many ways, you are who you are. It's very difficult to sort of change your reputation, so to speak. Yeah, and a, a lot of these coaches are kind of prideful. They're, they're, uh, I guarantee you, Mick Cronin is saying, we're going to run, but we're going to run. And if we run our stuff the right, right way, it doesn't matter if the other team knows we're doing it. He wants to run his stuff and win running his stuff. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, it, Cincinnati needs to find a way to get some scoring inside. Uh, that's yeah. the biggest thing with them right now. Like you said, last year when they kind of made that run late in the year was when Yancey Gates all of a sudden became a guy that you could throw the ball down to and rely on getting a bucket or getting a foul when he had his back to the basket. They don't have anyone like this this year. Yeah. They don't have anyone that can, you know, take some pressure off the guards and, and can, you know, get you a little a post-up situation. And I think that's the biggest thing right now is that teams can just kind of sell out on Kilpatrick and Wright and say, hey, we're not going to let you beat us. Someone else is going to have to beat us. And they, they really don't have that other option. And, then, you know, if it's Parker becoming a guy that can get you 12 points a game or even Sheck Moves finding a way to learn how to hit a jump hook or something, anything, they just yes. need that, that third option out there that can kind of take the pressure off the two guards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Sheck's been better at scoring lately, but he's not going to be a guy – it's going to be your 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 consistent effort guy. That, you know that, that that seems to be figuring out the answer to that puzzle will definitely be the issue for UC this year. It's no secret; it has been all year. They got to find out a way to do that because the defense, like you said, is enough 
they carry them. I mean, it really is. They, 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 played, they play well enough on defense. That's a team that can make a deep tournament run if they have the offense to go with it. And that's the question is if they, that, they will be able to turn that corner or not. We'll learn a lot against Pittsburgh on Saturday night. This is, uh, you know, you mentioned sort of the parity in the Big East. I wanted to let's, – let's do a little exercise, shall we? A little let's exercise do it. in the Big East. Uh, I, I'll give you – obviously, Syracuse, Louisville, I mean, I think are pretty clearly the top two teams. Like you said, not too much difference between them and everybody else, but I think clearly the top two teams. Let's rank the next four after that. And there's, I mean, there is a bunch. I mean, not, not only a few days ago, you had nine teams within a game of first place. I mean, it is just as wide open as you could imagine. But you've got, you've got this bunch up of, with Syracuse and Marquette currently at seven and two in the conference, Louisville at seven and three, Georgetown six and three, Pittsburgh and St. John's at seven and four. Notre Dame and Cincinnati both at six and four. You've got seven teams in the top twenty-five. Uh, let's not, of course, forget Connecticut at five and four. Uh, you know, where where do you where do you rank them? Who who do you put in at number? We'll start with number three. Who's number three? <laughs> that, that is such a hard question to answer in this big. <laughs> I mean, if I had to if I had to pick someone, I would think. I think Georgetown is probably the third best team in the Big East simply because they've kind of changed the way that they've played a little bit. They've gone a little smaller. They've stopped focusing on Mikhail Hopkins so much in the post. And they've gotten the ball to Otto Portimore and kind of said, you know, you're our best player. Go win us some games. And um, they still run that difficult system. They're still really, really good defensively. So I think I'm going to go with Georgetown as the third best team, followed very closely by Pitt. Um, I, I really like what Pitt can do this year. I think that they uh, pass the ball very well. I'm a big fan of James Robinson and, and, and Trey Woodall in the backcourt, and I think that Stephen Adams, it, it seems like every time you watch him play, he gets a little bit better, and he, he's learning something else that he can do out there. And then, you know, I followed very, very, very closely. I'd say that, you know, Marquette, Notre Dame, Cincinnati are all – I'd probably say Marquette is the best of that group, and then you know St. John's, Notre Dame, Cincinnati. I'd say that they're all tied for six, barely. I guess I don't know. It, it's so tough to, to to kind of separate them. And hey, you know what? The Big East tournament's going to be fun this year. Let's just put it that way. And it's it's just a shame that they're blowing it up. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, we, we we you can take it take it in, soak it in, enjoy it all while you can because uh, it's so much fun to watch during the season, and it, it, you hate to think about the fact that. It won't be the same next year. For the record, I have I have also had Georgetown at three. The way they've been playing lately, I mean, they've re- they've really found something. Um, they're going to be they're going to be a tough team. That uh, UC Georgetown nine o'clock on a Friday till I believe next Friday uh, actually is going to be a, a great game here at Fifth Third Arena. Um, I've got I, I'm not sold on Marquette. Uh, you know, there's, they really have taken advantage, I think, of what has been a, a very, uh, advantageous schedule. You know, I, I still, they, they found a way to win some games. You kind of wonder how they're finding a way to win them early on. That's helped them get out there. That we'll learn about them, though, because they have a really tough road coming up. I think three of their next six are against, uh, you know, Georgetown, Syracuse, another in there. I mean, they've got, they play some of the real tough, Neither schedules. I'm not sold in. I think Pittsburgh, I still, you know, I still think that UC and Pittsburgh, I have them 
very similar. You see winning at Pittsburgh earlier this year, but that was before Pittsburgh figured something out. And I think Marquette after that with but that can, you know, we say that today, that can change dramatically tomorrow. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it changes from day to day. I want to go more into Pittsburgh a little bit. You mentioned a little bit about them. With them coming in here on Saturday, what has happened exactly with them? Because they've now won seven of nine, and those only losses were an overtime to Marquette and by three points uh, at the Young, I mean, against Louisville. They, they had, something has happened from the first time UC played them to open conference play on January 1st. Uh, and now that they seem to be a completely different team. Well, the, the loss to Rutgers, they just simply didn't show up defensively in the first half. They got lit up by, I believe it was Eli Carter, and I think they dug themselves like a 16-point hole. And the way that Mike Rice has his team's plates, just it's difficult to dig out of a hole against them. Um, and then when Cincinnati beat them the first time, I think that was just, you know, one of those games where the Bearcats showed up and, and, and Pitt didn't. I don't think there was anything specifically that had to do with the way that uh, the Panthers were playing that kind of cost them that game, um, if that makes sense. But I think what they're doing now is they're just they're so good at getting to the, the offensive glass. And you kind of see Stephen Adams developing a little bit more and, and, and given his size and his just raw athleticism, as he learns to, to get to the basket and, and how to kind of play up to his size and his strength and his, his natural, you know, God-given abilities, I uh, just I think they're going to get better because that's what they do. You know, they, they're they almost get to the point where the, the best offense for them is a missed shot because they just go get the rebound. It's what they've always done. It's what Jamie Dixon's clubs always do. And I think they're kind of embracing that a little more this year. I also think that, um, you know, it's kind of nice to see that some of the wings – are, are figuring out a way to score the ball, like J.J. Moore and Lamar Patterson and, and guys like that. And, you know, I just – I love the way that they play together. They're a very, very good passing team, like I said. And I think that's the reason that they were able to knock off Syracuse against that zone is because they just – they they got the ball to the high post and they were able to, to, to cut up that zone pretty easily. So, you know, I think that this – more than anything, I, I think that the performance at the start of the Big East was just more of a blip on the, the – the radar than what it's been since then, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, people didn't really know much about them because they had such a weak non-conference schedule. Really, they played Michigan and not much of anybody else, essentially. And so the, the verdict was out, even though they've been Ken Palm superstars all year. I mean, they, they, they've been up there while they've been off most people's radars, mainly much, much, most of it because of their, their schedule. But, you know, they've been a top ten uh, in his rating most of the year, uh, and currently at six, at six right now. Uh, so, I mean, you know, they, they are efficient. Number one in the conference and offensive rebounding, uh, in conference play anyway. I mean, they, they, and I think that was part of why you see had so much success in that first game. It's what, that, what they do well also, able to grab boards, and I think they were able to neutralize them a bit that way. That game was called very closely, if I remember. You see had a ton of free throws. Uh, that they ended up hitting to, to help pull away with just a huge second-half burst, which has sort of been uh, their their signature for both good and bad in many games this year is, is the slow starts and the hot finishes. But, yeah, Pittsburgh, that's going to be a great game to watch because they, they you know, great guard play. And Jamie Dixon, it's taken a little bit with this group to kind of find a way to make it all work. I mean, they really had their struggles last year, but 
They do definitely seem to be putting together. That should be a fun one to talk about. What, what, another topic I want to jump into with you, and I find it to be interesting. I was discussing this a little bit during the game. People were talking uh, after the game on Twitter about, oh, it's going to hurt UC and, and when it comes March, and talking about seeding and this and that. And, and the more I thought about it, how much will seeding actually matter this year in comparison to other years? Because whether you're a three or a five or a seven, it seems this year is so much the same between all of those. Spots and seeding are, are going to be as close to irrelevant as they have been, at least between those spots, when you're talking about it's whoever really is going to be hot because – there, there's not a huge disparity between a lot of those spots. I mean, do you do you view it that way? It would seem like maybe seedings you can kind of throw them out the window almost a little bit this year. A little bit, I guess, just because there's so much. You know, I, I actually hate using this word. There's so much parity across the country. There's really not that much of a difference between the teams that are going to be, you know, a three seed and the teams that are going to be an eight seed. Um, but I. I Seeding always helps. Getting a higher seed always helps because there's a better chance. If you're a three seed, you have a better chance of getting a good draw against a six seed than, you know, if you're a six seed having to go up against a three seed. So, I mean, seeding is always advantageous, but it's all going to come down to matchups the way it always does in the tournament. You know, if uh, if Cincinnati ends up playing a team, you know, that can spread the floor offensively, and, you know, has a couple of really, really good defensive guards, um, and, and they play man-to-man, and they can shut down Kilpatrick and Wright, you know, then I, I think the Bearcats might end up being in trouble. But if they get a draw against a team that, you know, can't guard on the perimeter and, 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 and doesn't have enough size to keep their big guys off the glass, then, you know, who knows what happens. It, it all comes down to matchups in the tournament. But getting a higher seed means that you're more likely to get an advantageous matchup, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, and I, w- I would agree with that. But I, uh, my only point being, it would seem that this year, uh, you know, with it, when you talk about those threes and six, you could probably, when this when this draw comes out, there'll probably be a lot of us saying, I can't believe that, that six isn't a three, or I can't believe that three isn't a six, that it really, it all kind of ends up in that same bucket, that, you know, maybe more than normal. Obviously, you know, you're going you're gonna to want to hire, see your chances are better of drawing a better matchup. But at the end of the day, when it's all so close uh, amongst that middle, it seems like, you know, as long if you can avoid that eight, so you're not having to play one of the ones where, you know, you don't want to be playing in Indiana or, or Michigan or whoever. But, uh, you know, it seems like it's not as much involved as far as the sliding from a three to a six or whatever seems to be all on a, on a, a much closer scale than normal. But, you know, that probably just... It, it, it's just the way it happens this year. And, and we'll say that, and, and it'll be a clean sweep. And it'll be wall one through four seasons, sweet 16. But <laughs> yeah, never, it'll be all chalk. You never know much. Which just goes to show, I wanna, and you were talking about this the other day. I love the piece you wrote about uh, the concept of college basketball being, is it in shambles or a shambles, by the way? It, apparently it's a shambles, but I never – ever, ever have heard of it used that way. But uh, Matt Norlander, who writes for CBS Sports, is apparently a, a wordsmith, and he schooled me on it the other day on Twitter, and I Googled it, and apparently he's right. So I, it's a shambles, not in shambles. 
I had no idea, and I have a I have a slight confession to make here. Uh, I'll go ahead and put it out there. I I love the story, so I obviously gave it a retweet. I actually corrected a and switched it to in on when I retweeted it. So confession, like I I committed I, I committed Twitter crime, but I. I, I felt like that was I I've never heard of such a thing. I thought it was just a, a typo, and I was wrong. Apparently, I was wrong. I had, I had no idea. So you corrected it to be incorrect. <laughs> I I I took the correct that you had sent out and I made it incorrect <laughs> to make you look bad. Just, I apologize here on the record. So well, I, I guess I guess I got to forgive you, right? You bought me ribs. Well, we just, let's call that a wash. Let's call it a wash. Uh, but no, so you, you wrote, you wrote about college basketball not being a shambles. Uh, well, I mean, take me into, where are you, first of all, how, how, is that just a narrative that's stronger this year than most years for whatever reason? And why, why do you think people are feeling that way? It just seems like it's gotten a lot more publicity this year that there's there's all these problems with college basketball and there's all these issues with it and the sport needs to be fixed and it's dying and blah 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 and, and you know I just I don't buy it because I, I'm not saying that it's perfect there there are issues that need to be addressed like for one there are way too many teams we shouldn't have 350 division one teams in college basketball that's just way 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 too much and, and you know I, I I'm not a fan of the way the one and done rule is set up I hate conference realignment, all all this stuff, that, that stuff that's out of control of uh, basically of college basketball is kind of hurting the game. But the, the stuff that people are talking about is, I guess, like the low scoring points and and there's not a lot of talent and, and, and there's no, you know, stars this year and no great teams and, and, and whatever. I, that doesn't bother me. You know, I, I just, I want to see great games. I want to see teams playing hard and that's what we get on a nightly basis on the games that, you know, if you're paying attention, the games that you're watching, that's what you're seeing. And it just, it bugs me when people are, are, are blasting it because, you know, Fordham played St. Bonaventure and they didn't even break 100 points or whatever. I, I just, I think that you need to be watching the better games. You need to, 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 to know what's going on, to know what you're talking about. I just, it, it bothers me when people hate on it because, I mean, you have no idea what is going to happen on a given night this year. Kansas went to TCU and lost. TCU was the worst major conference team. They went into that game with the worst RPI than five teams in the Ivy League. And they beat the number five team in the country who was number two in the country as recently as Saturday. So, uh, how, how is this a bad thing? You don't, you literally have no idea what's going to happen every single night that the team steps on the court. And I think that that's a great thing for the sport. Except that you know there's going to be some posterized, and you know that there will probably be some buzzer beaters, and uh, we know that you'll be up till 3 in the morning documenting it all on Twitter. This is, these, are, these are the only givens that we really have at College Basketball. Yeah, that's all you got. So just follow me on Twitter, and I'll make your life better, I promise. <laughs> well, you know, you, you say – you talk about – how people uh, not watching, in, people aren't watching enough, you know, and, and well, nobody can really watch as much as you. Uh, I don't think it's possible. If it is, they, well, they definitely would have to either get a divorce or break up with their girlfriend, for sure. <laughs> you know, this, the thing is, is, 
that is how do you get people to watch more? How do how do we turn the average sports fan, the average college basketball fan, into somebody that does watch more and that does follow more? That's really the question. And uh, I know you. You've written about in defense of, hey, is it just whatever you do, don't go change in March, and I couldn't agree with that more. But how, how, you know, how can, what are some ways that you can, that this game can survive some of this realignment and continue to grab more fans and make them see what we see, you know? Well, I think what they need to do, the biggest thing is to, to get rid of the doldrums in December. You can't just have, there's a great start to the season in November, and then you go through the basically month and a half long stretch where there really isn't all that much happening. You have teams, and it's understandable, teams are on break, teams are going on finals. Um, you don't, with all that going on, these coaches don't really want to test their guys um, and have big kind of competitive games when they're really kind of focusing on pretending to study for pretending to taking their exams or whatever. And, you know, I, I just, I think you need to have better games in there. The biggest issue for me is that, College basketball is always going to be kind of a little niche sport. It's going to be our sport. It's never going to be as popular as the NBA. It's never going to be as popular as anything to do with football in this country because that's just never going to happen. I don't know if it's ever going to be as popular as even something like like NASCAR because, you know, NASCAR in my mind is kind of like football in that there's that one event a week that everybody kind of looks forward to. And, and, And with that, it's not even like football where there's, you know, 10, 15 games going on at the same time. With NASCAR, there's one event going on at one time that everybody pays attention to. So I, I just think that the fact that there's so many games during the week, there's so many teams that people root for, it, you know, I just, I, I don't know how high we can expect the popularity of college basketball to be, especially when, you know, if there's 18 teams in the Big East and there are seven Big East games, going on one night. If you're a Marquette fan, you're not going to stop watching the Marquette games because Louisville is playing Syracuse or whatever. If, if you're an Illinois fan, you're not going to tune into Indiana, Michigan when they're playing at the same time as Illinois is. So I, it's just, I, I think that we have to kind of accept the fact that college basketball is never going to be the dominant sport in the country except for when it's March. I think that we need to just embrace the fact that, you know, our sport dominates the national landscape. Everybody talks about it for an entire month, and how many sports can say that? Not even, like, not even the Major League Baseball can dominate during October when when, right. when their playoffs are going on. It's, I think that we need to embrace the fact that we have the best postseason in sports, and then Find ways to tweak it so there's more intrigue during the season that gets more, you know, casual fan eyeballs on games. I just, I think that's the biggest thing that we need to do to adjust it. But, you know, if there, when there are 60 games on, on a Wednesday night and it goes until one in the morning, how can you really expect everybody to want to watch every single game? It's just, it's not going to happen. Only those that are legitimately insane, Rob. Only those that are legitimately insane. And well, I'm trying to pass on the sickness as best as I can. <laughs> well, uh, hey, I hope everything goes well for you. I guess you will you be at the Big East tournament this year? Um, to be decided. I, I I don't know yet. I want to. I want to go, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up there. Right. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. I assume you'll have. 
you probably already have like a multi TV. How many TVs set up do you have going at once? Do you you go like four? You go up to four? Is that too many? No, I go I go with um I haven't gone to three yet this year. I normally reserve that for the NCAA tournament, but I've gone to two, and then I'll have uh, my my fiance's laptop and my laptop set up, so I can have I normally have like six games going. It, it's impossible to pay attention to that many. I just I like to have it up so that I can kind of look at the scores and. If someone tweets like, oh, you got to see this play that just happened in the Baylor game, I can kind of look and be like, oh, I got the Baylor. Oh, yeah, that was a nice play. So, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's too much sometimes and it's probably, you know, not healthy, but hey, I got, I, I got time. Yeah, we, there, there are worse vices you could have, uh, than watching too many college basketball games at once, you know, and you, you probably got a few of those too, but at least yeah. you, you, know, you have this one. As well. Well, hey, Rob, definitely appreciate you joining me, and uh, congratulations on everything you've uh, you guys been able to do, and with everything. Remember, uh, check him out at uh, collegebasketballtalk.nbcsports.com. Uh, obviously, the late night follow on Twitter at Rob Douster, and uh, um, you know everything you guys are doing over there is fantastic. I will continue to be reading uh, and look forward to. Uh, let's have you on again sometime in the future. Obviously. Uh, the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament are going to be uh, pretty ridiculous. So we'll, I'm sure we'll catch up with you at some point. Definitely, man. And next time we're going to do it over some ribs, even if we got to do it over the phone. I'll send you some ribs, mail order you some ribs, and they'll arrive, and then you, we will both open the packages and, and eat them. People will literally listen to us eat into a phone. It will be maybe the most unlistenable podcast ever. Hey, but we'll be setting trends. That's all that matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks, Rob. Have a great one. Hey, thanks for having me on, man.